Welcome to the Humans Under Grace Bible Study Podcast. We're getting ready to have an old-fashioned, line-on-line, precept-on-precept study of God's Word to search out those deeper truths and gain a greater understanding of the Bible. We would love for you to join us today as we dig in and learn what it is that God would truly have us to understand from the letter that He wrote to us. Hello there, God bless you, and welcome into the study today. We're very glad to have you. I'm going to be picking it up in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16 in just a moment. Now, Christ has, or he's going through giving his disciples their mission. He's, he's told them what to go out, where to go. He said, go to the house of Israel. Don't quite, don't go to the Gentiles just yet. We've got to go to the house of Israel first. And he gave them power over devils and illnesses and disease of all manner. And so go out and heal and cast these unclean spirits out. And don't take anything. Don't, don't, don't take a begging bag. Don't go out and with your hand out. Because if you're doing God's will, you will be, he will bless you. You will be supplied with what you need. You won't have to beg for it. It'll, it'll show up. And he said, whenever you come into a town... Don't bounce from house to house and go through all these customs. Be sure that, you know, just pick a house that's good, that will allow you to stay, and stay there. If you're staying a week, stay there the week. Don't go to another house the next night because they had all kind of customs and stuff that they had to do. Just pick some place, bed down, and teach the word. Bring this gospel. Tell them that the kingdom of heaven is nigh, is at hand, and... Don't waste any time with the traditions of man. Now, as we pick it up in verse 16, he starts giving them warning, starts getting them their mind prepared for what they're fixing to face. So we ask for clarity and understanding from our Father in Jesus' name. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Now, one thing about this Sheep in the midst of wolves. If you look around the world today, there's a lot of wolves. And sheep are basically defenseless. You, you take a little lamb, and a lamb can't defend itself against a wolf. So where's, where's a sheep's defense or a lamb's defense? It's the shepherd. And that's what he's telling them in, in a type of parable form, is to put your trust in the shepherd. And he'll take care of the wolves. He'll take care of the, the dangers. Now, we've still got to handle ourselves physically, but spiritually, he'll take care of those things that could be harmful to us that are out there. And why is a serpent? What is a serpent? The serpent is the devil. And I know I quote it a lot, but if you go to Ezekiel chapter 28, God says that he made Satan the full package, full of beauty and wisdom. So whenever he says here, therefore, be you wise as serpents, means don't fall for his stuff. Don't allow him to beguile you. Don't allow him to seduce you or get you off on any kind of man's traditions or any of any of this other foolishness. But be wise. And harmless as doves, we all look at doves as a very peaceful animal. And they are very peaceful. But whenever you mess with their nest... If, if a person were to go and try to get their eggs or their young that are in their nest or any other animal, they come out and are very, 
fierce. They are very protective. And so we're supposed to be wiser than the serpents. At the same time, protect those who aren't there yet. And be fierce, don't take anything. He's given us power over all this in the name of Jesus. So we don't have to lay down and take it. We can stand up and fight. Verse 17, But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in the synagogues. And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. Now, this scourge, that, that kind of scares a lot of people. Maybe we're going to get whipped and all this kind of stuff. This is a spiritual thing. Now, at this point, at verse 17, he's fixing to give us an overview, basically, of Matthew 24. And when we get into Matthew chapter 24, we'll go into much more depth on this, just as Christ will. <clears throat> but what he's doing is just kind of giving a fly-by view of, hey, get ready, this is going to happen. I'll explain it later, but this is this is... Let me just brace you right quick. This is going to happen. And so it's looking forward to that hour of temptation when the Antichrist is here. So to be scourged is to be delivered up and they're going to browbeat us. They're going to talk down to us because we don't believe that the Antichrist is the true Christ. And they're going to try to every little trick in the book to deceive us. Which again is why he says, therefore, be ye therefore wise as serpents. Don't fall for it. Stay ahead of it. Verse 19, But when they deliver you, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in the same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak. Now this verse 20 right here, a lot of people wonder what the Spirit is. Here we go. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. It's the Holy Spirit. Many people talk about speaking in tongues and cloven tongues and, and they get Corinthians very confused where Paul is talking about tongues as the least of gifts. Tongues in that is just languages. If I were to go to Mexico, I would need an interpreter because I, do, I cannot speak Spanish well enough to do the gospel, the justice that it deserves to teach it. Therefore, I don't have that gift of tongues to be able to speak fluently enough to bring forth a teaching from the word and it be effective. This, however, is not that tongue. This is the cloven tongue. And that cloven tongue is the gift of God for those who are the elect who are delivered up before Satan during this hour of temptation to allow the Holy Spirit to speak through them, and that tongue goes out in all the languages, <clears throat> excuse me, in all the dialects of the world, so that each and every person will understand in their own dialect, plumb down to what they were taught, how in the city that they were raised. Now also, <clears throat> let's turn over to Luke chapter 12 and look just a little bit farther into what this entails and, and basically a penalty behind this. Luke chapter 12, verse 8. Also, I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. 
But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. Verse 10. Now this is important. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven. Now the Son of Man naturally is Christ in the flesh, God, Emmanuel with us in the flesh. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven. Now, did you catch that? That's an unforgivable sin. That's the only unforgivable sin in the Bible is to blasphemous against the Holy Spirit. Now, we just learned that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the Spirit of God. And it goes on in verse 11 to explain how that can be done. Verse 11, when they bring you unto the synagogues and unto magistrates and powers. Well, that sounds real familiar to what we just read. Take ye no thought how or what thing ye shall answer, or what ye shall say, for the Holy Spirit shall teach you in that same hour what ye ought to say. So what he's saying, whenever you're delivered up, don't come up with a speech. It don't matter what we say. If you're standing before the Antichrist and it's and and you're the elect and it's God's will that he speak through you. And we start trying to speak our own minds. We're just getting in the way. So don't think about what's going to happen. It'll be given to you in that hour. At the same time, to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit is to not allow him to do his purpose, which is to speak through you. If you get up there and hold your tongue, that is against God's will. And that is unforgivable because it is that. That testimony of the Holy Spirit coming through you, going out into the whole world in that cloven tongue in which every language can understand to prove that Satan is the Antichrist and not the true Christ. That's why it is so important to understand that. Verse 21 back here in Matthew chapter 10. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death and the father the child. And the child shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. Now that sounds like a terribly twisted, messed up. I mean, you look around the world today and you think, okay, well, I can see that happen. But you got to understand what death is. What death is he speaking of here? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 2, 14 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of the flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. He came in the flesh. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is, the devil. So now, this death that he speaks of here, let's, let's change that to the devil, which is who this is speaking of. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to Satan, or to the Antichrist, and the father of the child. And the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to Satan, or to the Antichrist. Why in the world would they do this? Because they truly believe that he is Christ. That it is the second advent. Christ is on earth. Heaven's on earth. Everything's going to be great. But they missed the boat just a bit. They jumped one trump too early. The sixth trump shouted out. The Antichrist showed up and they jumped on board. Instead of waiting until the final trump, the seventh trump, 
And what they're doing here is going to death or going to Satan and saying, oh, look, my son or my daughter or my parents or whoever it may be, they're really, really great people. They've studied your word. They love you so much. They're so devoted to you. They just don't they just don't understand. They don't understand that you're the Christ. All the while, he's not. They're the ones that are wrong. But they're pleading that let me just get him up here or her up here so that you can speak with them and they'll see. And at that point, you're delivered up. And it's not going to be like you see in all the movies and everything where there's where there's guillotines and, and all this stuff where it's just torture, but it's a spiritual fight. It's a spite for, it's a fight for the spirit, not for the flesh. Verse 22, and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. Well, why is that? Because we know the true Christ and we're not fallen for the false. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. That's the thing. Keep your eye on the prize. And you know, many people might say, well, how will you know? How, you, how will you know the difference? At the seventh trump, Zechariah chapter 14 brings a very, uh, I guess you could say graphic explanation of this. At the seventh trump, when Christ returns and sets his foot down, all flesh is melted away. That's what Paul would speak of in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 52. In the twinkle of an eye at the last trump, all flesh is gone. We are changed into our spiritual body right then when Christ returns. So if there's one claiming to be Christ, if there's one sitting in Jerusalem saying that he's Christ, showing himself that he's Christ, and you can pinch your flesh, and it still has blood in it, that's not spirit. He's not returned. If we're still putting around in cars, using fossil fuels, he's not returned. If you're still having to take medicine and such to keep this flesh body alive, the flesh, it's not the seventh trump. That is a telltale sign that it is not the true Christ. Because when it is the true Christ, we will return to our spiritual bodies that are perfect bodies. Verse 23. But when they persecute you in the city, in this city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. Now how is this? That means at the time that the Antichrist shows up, if you begin getting persecuted here, you won't have, a tri you won't have the time to make a circuit around all of Israel before the seventh trump sounds. It's going to be quick. It's going to happen fast. Matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 24, he said, if for the elect's sake, he shortened the time. And in shortening the time, you can go to Revelation chapter 9 and understand that he shortened it to a five-month period. That's the reign of the locust army. It's five months. He also compared the time of this hour of temptation to the flood of Noah, which was, ironically, five months. All right, verse 24. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master. And the servant as his Lord, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, which is the Lord of the flies, 
how much more shall they call them of the household? If you remember, Christ was doing these miracles and they said, oh, he's just doing this. He's he's just putting on a show. He's not really a good man. He's just an evil spirit pretending to be a good man. So what he's saying here is, if they've done this to me, what do you think they're going to do to you? He was God in the flesh, could read their minds, knew everything that was going on, and told them several times what they were thinking. And they talked this bad to him, they crucified him. He said, so if they did this to me, the true vine, what do you think they're going to do to you? 26, fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. God knows all things. He is the cardio knower. He knows your heart. You know, just to go down and, and do lip service where you're, you know, you're running your head and, you know, oh, I, I, they're so holy. They're so holy, this and that and this and that. And it looks real good and it looks real holy. God knows the heart. He knows what's truly happening, what's going on behind the scenes, not what's being put on for everybody. Verse 27, what I tell you in darkness that speak you in light and what you hear in the ear that preach you upon, upon the housetops. So whenever you are learning, you're in darkness, but you're coming out, you're receiving that light and you're getting more light and you're getting more light. And then whenever you hear it and you understand it, and as, he, as Christ would say many times in Revelation, uh, those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, let them hear. Whenever you hear the true word, get out and preach it. Get that truth out there. So that in that hour of temptation, during that time that we are called to be a part of, that we are here to defend against, that we are here to work for God for, whenever that time comes, those seeds have gone out and they'll start They'll start growing. People will see the prophecies coming to pass that you've told them about. And it'll click. Oh, so-and-so told me about that. Hey, hold on now. This, this ain't right. Oh, he was right this whole time. Or she was right this whole time. That's what this is saying. 28. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Don't worry about anything that happens in this flesh because you return to paradise. Don't try to please man. Don't try to please Satan or anything else. Please God. Because no one can destroy a soul except for God. A lot of people will say, Oh, well, you know, I, I sold my soul to the devil or I did this. No, you didn't. God created all souls. God owns all souls. If God owns them, you don't have the right to give it away. You can't. God made them. He owns them. And it's not yours to give away. It's your soul. But you can't sell it. Now, I would definitely urge everyone to follow Christ and try to keep it clean and pure. That way you keep your soul. That way it's not cast into hell. But you can't give it away. Verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. Without him knowing. Even the sparrows out here. The little bitty 
These, these tiny little birds, when one falls to the ground, your father knows about it. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. He knows each hair on your head. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are more value than many sparrows. Whosoever, therefore, shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. Now, we just covered that it, in, in Luke. <clears throat> Verse 34. Think not that I come to send peace on earth. I come not to send peace, but a sword. Now, what is the sword? It's the sword of the Lord. It's this word. If you remember in Revelation, that sword come out of Christ's tongue, come out of his mouth. And it was as a two-edged sword because it cuts both ways. 35, for I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. <clears throat> as we discussed before, that is because the household's going to be divided. There are going to be those who believe that the Antichrist is the Christ, and there's going to be the others that are telling them, no, don't go that way. Don't go that way. And they will become enemies, spiritually enemies. And you can imagine even this day, religion, to, to have a biblical discussion with somebody, it can go south really fast. People get their feelings hurt really fast. You can overload somebody very quickly and make an enemy out of someone just having a biblical discussion. Imagine what that's going to go to whenever the Antichrist is here. I mean, with majority of people, you can't have a good discussion over a tradition of man such as the rapture without them getting all kind of upset. Well, that's just a tradition of man. That's not the Antichrist standing before you. That's not you trying to help them stay away from that. That's just a biblical discussion. 37. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. What this is saying <clears throat> is that Christ should be the head of the household. That's, you should put your worship, you worship Christ. As God said, I am a jealous God. Therefore, you don't worship money. You don't worship material things. And you are to be led by Christ. He is our shepherd. Now this isn't saying don't take care of your family. Don't take care of your parents. Don't take care of your, your children. That's not what Christ is saying here. What he's saying is, don't put anything before him. Now, Paul would say in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, But if any man provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. So, all it's saying is, don't put anything before Christ. Worship begins there. And then through that, we are given that example. We are shown that love and can obtain more love or understand love better to be able to pass that love to our own. Now, verse 38. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me 
is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. This is meaning is, if you find your life here in the flesh, well, then you're going after all the monetary value that you can obtain. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with riches as long as it's blessings from God. A lot of people think that you've got to give everything away. Well, you look at those who have been blessed by God throughout the Bible. Christ's uncle, Mary's uncle, Joseph of Arimathea, the one that claimed Christ's body, the, kin the kinsman redeemer who came and was able to bury Christ in a rich man's tomb, as the prophecy was told, was known as the Tin Man. There is a documentary over the traditions of Glastonbury, and that's what it's called, by a biblical archaeologist named E. Raymond, e. Raymond Cap. I'll get it out here in a second. And what it speaks of is that Joseph of Arimathea, this same one who was Christ's uncle through Mary, was a rich man. He owned tin mines in Glastonbury, England, and imported tin. And it was through the blessings of God. And it also came to pass for the prophecy that Christ would be married, I mean, married, be buried in a rich man's tomb that had not yet had anyone in it. David and Solomon were rich. Many throughout Abraham was rich with God's blessings. But if you sit here and that's all you think about, and you found your life in this world, then you've lost your eternal because you took your focus off of Christ. Verse 40, He that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall, re shall receive a prophet's reward. In the name of what? In the name of a prophet. And he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a, of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water, only in the, only in the name of a, of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Now think of this. What is the cold water? Whenever in Luke chapter 16, the rich man would ask Abraham, would you just dip my, or would, would, would you just dip your finger in the water to cool my tongue? Give, a, give me a drop of water on my tongue to cool my tongue. That water is that living water. It's Christ. What this is saying is, even if it comes from a disciple, if you receive that cold, that, that living water, then how great of a reward is that? To be able to give out that water and to be able to receive that water, you get the reward of salvation for receiving it. You get that reward of your helping the kingdom. You're blessing God by being able to pour forth and teach this word. And when you bless God, God will definitely bless you. And we'll pick it up in chapter 11 in our next lecture. God bless y'all. You have a great day. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Humans Under Grace Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions that you'd like to be answered on the podcast, you can email us at questions at humansundergrace.com 
Or you can write to us at Humans Under Grace, P.O. Box 1467, Tatum, Texas 75691. Thank you and God bless you.